The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Memorial Day and Labor Day of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who knows how to kick off the summer in style, Josh, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I've been better, but I'm good. I'm alive. I'm breathing. Um, I don't know if I'm kicking off the summer in style right because I keep looking online and seeing people kicking off the summer in style today, and I'm just still uh, sheltering in place. <laughs> so, well, you're being you're being responsible. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So that's good. Do you have problems keeping track of Memorial Day and Labor Day, and which one is which? Not usually. Uh, this year, yes. Okay. <laughs> but not usually, no. Yeah. I, I don't know why that whenever someone makes mention of the holiday, Memorial Day or Labor Day, even if it's, you know, in May and they're like, oh, the Memorial Day holiday is coming up. I still have to think about, I remember that Labor Day is the one in the fall because of the labor of going back to school. Right. And that's I, how I've always remembered it since I was a kid. So even when... Two weeks ago, people were like, oh, Memorial Day was coming up. I had to think about, okay, Labor Day is the one of the fall. So, yes, that's the one coming up here in a couple of weeks. I have no other way of remembering when Memorial Day is other than that, which I think is probably bad, right? For me, I just remember it because um, it's I, – I, in my head, it's related to 4th of July. I know that it isn't, but right. as far as when I think of 4th of July, I think of military service. So, it's easier for me to remember – Memorial Day closer to July, just in my head, because also we have Veterans Day that's in November, so like not necessarily right. the same, but right. Um, no, so well, yeah, yep, they're like, not. Yeah, so like I I know what you mean. I used to I think when I was younger confuse Memorial Day and Labor Day, um, and maybe because I work in a school and I know Labor Day is the holiday right after school goes back, it's easier for me right. to remember that as well. That yeah, yeah, and you know. Someone pointed out to me once that Memorial Day is in May, and they both start with M. Oh. And I was like, you know, that is a excellent point, a great thing to bring up. And for whatever reason, that hasn't stuck. I don't know why that has not ever stuck in my brain for some reason. But final question before we get into things here. Very important question that was being discussed on the Discord. Josh. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, maybe. I, I, there's a few things going on in the Discord. Is a donut a pastry? <laughs> this is exactly what I thought you Because <laughs> it devolved, and I'm saying devolved, into is a hot dog a sandwich. It did, uh, but we're not going to that. Is a no. donut a pastry? I want to say no, but I could see both sides. Okay, so if you said, if I told you, hey, Josh, I have some pastries for it's, you, and you opened the box and it was donuts, would you be thinking what the heck these aren't pastries yeah 
I mean, do you consider a muffin a pastry? Because I think that's more close to a donut than it is to a pastry. Is it a muffin closer to a cake? No, no. <laughs> or a bread? No, maybe to a bread. Okay. I think if you said, yeah, I don't know. I can't turn that to make my point easier. So I'm not going to go down the muffin line. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know. And I think a pastry is, I think of like danishes and strudels and stuff like that. I don't necessarily think of donuts, but I know you could argue that a donut is like decorated like a pastry, but I think the texture and consistency is more cakey than okay. pastry. So what's the difference? Would you say that something like a long john is a is. pastry? <laughs> you don't know what that is? Okay. No. Uh, Crawler? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't This is where we're going to get into regional terms here. This might be challenging. Okay. So is... <laughs> I think the crux often comes to like a cake donut, right? A cake donut is baked, and people say that pastries can't be fried. So would a cake donut be a pastry? What is a cake donut? It's just a donut that is baked. Oh, it's just a, the way they prepare the donuts? Yeah. Because there's uh, like your raised glazed donuts that are fried, but you can get just a regular cake donut. They're often called like coffee donuts because they're a oh, little bit thicker okay. and hardier that you sure. can dunk, dunk in coffee. Yep. No, I mean, I've always considered that it's still a donut, so uh, I don't know that that <laughs> changes it anything. Uh, no, I mean, I just think pastries are light, typically, maybe like even fluffy and not as dense as a donut. And I think all donuts uh, in general, with the exceptions of like um, glazed donuts, are pretty doughy. Not doughy. Uh, dense. Dense. Dense is a better word. And I think I always associate pastries with light foods. So would a raised glazed donut, the yeah. light fluffy glazed donut, is that a pastry? I think a Krispy Kreme is closer to a pastry than it is to a donut, even though it's a donut. Okay. okay. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes eating, sense. I just... Eating Krispy Kreme donuts is not like eating a donut, like a Dunkin' Donuts donut for me. They're, it's like eating... One tenth of a Dunkin' Donuts donut. And this, I think, is where the key comes in because you are East Coast people. The people who are having this argument were yeah. East Coast people who are big <laughs> with Dunkin' Donuts. And I think that has limited your view as to what donuts are. <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a slam on Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it kind of is a slam on Dunkin' Donuts because Dunkin' Donuts would traditionally, most donuts at Dunkin' Donuts are what I would consider to be a cake donut. Sure. So they're a heavier, denser donut. So if you're thinking purely about those, I can understand why someone would say maybe that's not a pastry. My family, not my immediate family, but my extended family, owns multiple bakeries. So I always get very into the pastry versus donut versus is one the same. Yeah. So when I think of donuts, I typically think of a raised glazed donut, more similar to a Krispy Kreme, but even fluffier and bigger than that. Is what I think of when I hear donut. So that somebody being like, that's not a pastry to me is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I grew up with, right? That it was those light, fluffy glazed donuts that were just amazing. Oh, I miss those so much. <laughs> so anyway, I just have never disassociated them in any way, shape, or form. They've always been one and the same to me. Sure. If somebody was like, hey, I'm going to pick up pastries and brought back a box of mixed donut varieties, I would totally... Not second guess that at all. Okay. Well, I would. <laughs> so is an apple fritter a pastry or a donut? I, I, I don't know that I could call it a donut by definition because it's not a donut. It's a fritter. <laughs> okay. So it's like a baked good. 
I don't know that okay. I would call it a pastry either. Because I've in my head, uh, I can't call something a pastry unless it has some type of like glaze or something on top. Wood. Or design or something. Okay. Okay. So you're going that far. Okay, in that's my, cool. In my brain. Like, you could probably convince me either way. But as far as an apple fritter goes, I think it just stands on its own. Oh, I, I agree. They're my favorite type of pastry <laughs> donut-y goodness. I love apple fritters. But yeah, because my examples, someone said that donuts were not no pastries weren't fried is what someone's argument okay. was and i think that's not true because i think beignets are pastries i think sopapillas are pastries and those are all fried so i've just it's a never-ending debate good listener <laughs> if you have an opinion are donuts pastries i would love to hear it i use them interchangeably no matter what they're all delicious so for me in the end it really doesn't matter because i think they're all very very good but i would love to know dear listener do you consider donuts to be pastries and with that thank you so much for joining us this week everyone as always if you have any feedback questions suggested topics hit us up at board with vg on twitter or check out all of the awesome stuff over on the instagram also board with vg we're a proud part of play some video games and psvg is on patreon we're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do you can find us there at patreon.com slash psvg but the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone who you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. Josh, it is time. Do you know what time it is? Game time. Well, it was kind of game time, but there was a contest running for the last couple of weeks where we had people enter and they were allowed to enter and win their very own copy of Quacks of Quedlinburg. That's right. So you could submit your entrance via email or you could tweet at us, just quack or something to do with that. I appreciate we got a lot of entries for this. I was pretty surprised uh, about the number of entries and a lot of email entries, which was good to hear. See, because we often wonder and maybe don't check our emails as often as we should. But uh, we got a lot of emails. So that was great that know that people know that email exists and that it is work working and all that good stuff. Josh, are you in suspense and wanting to know who the winner of the contest is? Uh, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm excited to find out who is going to win and get to enjoy this game like we do. But I don't know that today I was able to have anything other <laughs> than... It's okay. For, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about this. So I will reach out to the winner via the method you reach out to us. Oh. So just so you know, I will reach out that way. Um, so if you emailed, I'm going to be emailing you. If you tw- um, connected with us on Twitter, I will DM you on Twitter. Um, and it probably will be in a couple days after this podcast releases is when I will reach out to you uh, just to ensure I have everything set up and ready to go as far as shipping goes. Uh, and the winner is none other than Linda. So congratulations, Linda. Congrats, that is all Linda. That you have won your own copy of the Quacks of Quedlinburg. Uh, and I will be in contact in a few days. Uh, to get that sent your direction. So thanks again, everyone who participated. We had a great number of contestants. So congrats, Linda, for winning. Uh, Everyone else, thank you for participating. We'll have more contests in the future, as we often do. Probably not, though, because we accidentally double purchase a game. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know I guess double double sent a game, I guess, (laughs) would be the more appropriate way to call it. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Josh, with that, what is your t- first topic of the show this week? I'm going to have to start accidentally double milling new games, and we'll just say it happened on accident. Oh, yeah, no, we have so. to give away a game. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so, um, yeah, our first, my first news is uh, the Funkiverse, as we know it, is expanding, and we're going to finally see some games from Funkiverse that aren't pop games, and we're going to see more pop games, etc. So uh, lots of stuff to talk about. So I think the first thing, I'm just kind of kind of rifle through what's going on. If you have any comments or excitement, let me know, uh, and we'll talk about those. But uh, um, yeah, so I believe they have some Prospero Hall friends on board for some of their games. But first, we have some new Funkiverse strategy game additions we're going to get. Uh, a Wonder Woman and Cheetah set. We have a Back to the Future set coming. Uh, we even have a Jaws set coming, which I think is pretty awesome. That uh, is very cool. And I believe they're all two-player sets. So Jaws is Quint and the Shark. I shouldn't say, yeah, and uh, Bruce. Uh, Back to the Future is Doc and Marty. Uh, Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman and Cheetah, and I believe uh, there might be more later. Uh, we're also going to get we're getting a look at some of their actual um, new IP games. Uh, the first game is Pan Am. Uh, this is from DiceTowerNews.com, by the way, uh, who are covering this. Uh, Pan Am has players compete with Pan uh, with Pan America Air- Airways uh, and each other to build an air travel empire. Um, it's a two to four player game. It's 12 plus, uh, plays in 60 minutes. Your goal is to, uh, either grow your, uh, own investments or purchase shares in Pan America Airways, uh, to get a big payout down the road. And you're just trying to grow your airport. So it seems like, uh, I know it's not a new theme, but I don't know that we talk about a lot of plane games. So it seems like it's in a good market to, to be in. Uh, the next game we have, it's called Last Defense. Uh, you have 20 minutes to save the city. Uh, so what this does is it throws monstrous threats such as space aliens, robots, spider robots, uh, large blobs of ooze, uh, and it's a cooperative game where you try to save the city. Uh, you have a 20-minute time limit, which is controlled by an app, so it sounds pretty similar to, like, 5-Minute Dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, yeah, the audio track announces uh, things as you play, which I think is really cool. It also provides tension with music. And uh, it's designed for two to six players. It's ages eight plus, so that's good. Uh, get a little of uh, the younger kids in. Uh, we also have a game called Yacht Rock, uh, which is a two to six player game uh, where you're living life in the in 70s SoCal uh, as yacht rockers who write soft rock songs. Uh, and your goal is to find the perfect floral print shirts and shades to complete your look and schmooze your way to success at yacht parties. It's a card game. Uh, it's ages 12 plus, and it's about 25 minutes long. We have Godzilla Tokyo Clash, uh, which uh, you take the form of kaijus such as Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, and Megalon, 
A new battle for dominance as the most terrifying monster in Japan. Sounds similar to a game we might know. Uh, players attack each other with their own decks and can throw tanks and trains at each other uh, or or burn cards in each other's decks to reduce their future options. Uh, so variable player power. It's two to four players. Ten plus. Sounds a little like King of Tokyo, but you get you get a few other things thrown in there. Uh, but that's okay. They got the Godzilla license. You might you might as well make a King of Tokyo game with that. Absolutely. <laughs> we have the next two games uh, I'm excited for. This one is Back to the Future, Back in Time, which is a fully cooperative board game uh, where you're playing uh, either Marty, Doc, Jennifer, or Einstein the dog. Uh, you know what I'm going to be playing the entire yeah. time. <laughs> and the objective is to have characters move around uh, Hill Valley and collect uh, movie-related items uh, in an effort to fix the DeLorean and then to defeat Biff, Tannen, and his gang. Uh, The game plays, it's a 50-minute game, so this sounds like it's an actual full-fledged like tabletop board game. Yep. uh, Which is exciting. Two to four players uh, plays in 50 minutes. And then finally, the one that I'm sure Kevin will be the most excited about out of people I know, it's Disney the Haunted Mansion. Uh, It's Call uh, of the Spirits. Uh, it's a family board game where players explore the famous uh, ghost-infested manor and score points socializing with various ghosts in each location. Uh, the player with the most... Uh, sorry, the player... The most haunted player loses points uh, when they attract haunt cards. It plays in about 30 minutes, so it sounds a little bit lighter, uh, but it is also two to six players and ages nine plus, so good for the family. Uh, there's also a brand of card games called Something Wild. I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um, but they have, they're like these little, what you would see hanging on a peg in a target. And it comes with a very small Funko Pop and then a specifically stylized deck of cards. Like there's like a Mickey uh, in the Friends one. comes with a Mickey Pop and then the cards... That are in there have different characters from that brand, if you will. Okay, I looked one up. I have seen these before. Okay, so they have a bunch of new ones coming uh, uh, with themes from Little Mermaid, Nightmare Before Christmas, Aladdin, Toy Story, Mickey and Friends, and Disney Villains. Um, and they all come with their own little Funko Pop figure. Also, down the road, we're going to be seeing uh, some huge movie licensed games coming out. So we have... Uh, a Christmas Story, a major card game. Uh, we have Footloose, the party game. <laughs> uh, Gremlins, Holiday Havoc. Groundhog Day, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, Elf, Snowball Showdown card game. And then a Frosty the Snowman, Follow the Leader card game. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. They got a lot of stuff coming up. Also the Kellogg's Pop-Tarts game. <laughs> uh but yeah, uh, Funko's going to be making some big moves. Uh, I wouldn't say that they were slow to start, but they definitely only put out a few titles right away, and they right. just kind of fit within the Funko idea of what you thought you might be getting. So it'll be interesting to see like really what comes out of these full-fledged games, and I'm wondering if like Prospero Hall is really just doing all of them for them. Uh, I'm, wonder- I'm curious how that's going to work out, and I wonder how... Um, um, fun f- enough. Uh, shoot, now I'm blanking on their name. Uh, the people who make villainous. Ah, man, 
this is embarrassing because every time I tweet at them, <laughs> I, I tweet and the, the image is in my head. Uh, Wonderforge. Jeez. Yeah. Man, that took me too long. So I wonder how Wonderforge will feel about people getting in on this Prospero Hall goodness. Yeah, it it is interesting because as you kind of alluded to, when you hear of Funko, obviously Funko Pops come to mind. So their first transition of forays into board game made sense, right? Yeah. You had these Funko verse strategy games, as we've talked about on the show before, a far deeper strategy game than what you would perceive it to be based on what the box looks like, based off of the characters that you get. But this really is obviously in conjunction with Prospero Hall, but still a transition into much more serious gaming, at least from the perspective of there are no Funkos in most of these games. Yeah, exactly. So that's an interesting turn for them to do. And I'm excited to see how that goes. I know that Funko lost a ton of money uh, at the beginning of this year with everything going on as far as stores closing and Funkos were one of those really easy add-on items when you're at a hobby gaming store or any other store of like, hey, I'm here, I'm buying these games. Oh, look, here's a cool Funko for a property I like. I'm just going to grab that too. Yeah. They're very easy add-on items like that. And I think without stores having a lot of traffic and being closed, they just they lost a lot of sales as a result of that. So I'm glad to see that they're kind of expanding. I'm sure, obviously, that most of these deals were in the works far before you know covid and everything associated with covid happened but of these releases which there are numerous is there one you are most excited about uh she's yeah i mean i'm really interested to see what they do with uh, that back to the future game mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a great license that really hasn't made it into the board game world right so i'm curious to see you know what they do with that yeah, I agree. That one's definitely up there. I am also very interested in the add-ons for the Funkoverse games. I think having yeah. Jaws with Jurassic Park could be a lot of fun. So having some Raptors and Jaws, <laughs> the shark, like doing their thing yeah. on a team against other people, I think would be a lot of fun. <laughs> so it's cool to see that these are still going because the games are a lot of fun. Like I said, it is very deep. Uh, Yacht Rock I don't know. Something about the write-up for me, though, just says, live the life of 1970s Southern California yacht rockers who write yeah. soft rock songs, <laughs> find the perfect floral print shirt and shades to complete their swanky looks, and smooth their way to, su- su- to success at yacht parties. Yeah. That sounds fun, right? It sounds new. <laughs> it does sound new. And this is one of the things I love about board games is, yes, you could definitely have a independent video game similar to that but you know funko is a big player in the board game world and they're releasing a board game about trying to schmooze your way at <laughs> yacht parties in the 70s yeah that's pretty cool the fact that you're able to do that and i'm a little disappointed that it's only a card game but i am sure also that makes it a much smaller investment and easier to hopefully turn a profit for them on that one but that it's really interesting to me that that is in of itself a thing. So cool. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Funko, these games at all? No, I'm just I'm curious to see how they do. So I'm just going to keep my eye on them. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge slate for them. That is a ton of games. Yeah. 
All right. So my first topic this week, I'm just going to go over some of the games I've been playing. I'm going to start with board games. I don't have a full review for this game yet because I have just started playing it. And this is definitely a game that is going to take me a few plays before I can talk about it with any level of knowledge and certainty about how I feel about it. Hmm. And that game, Josh, you have a guess of what this game is? No, it's you're being very vague. <laughs> it's Spirit Island. So oh. <laughs> Spirit Island, the cooperative, uh, I guess almost anti anti civilization. Yeah, anti civilization game uh, yeah. by Eric Royce, published by Greater Than Games. Uh, came out back in 2017. Really widely loved. Actually ranked number 13 overall right now in the Board Game Geek uh, rankings. 13th overall. The weight rating for this game. which if you're not familiar with board games, that's really, really heavy. Uh, Very, very few games are above, you know, five is the highest, but almost nothing cracks four overall because it's based off of, you know, people voting on these. Um, But 60% gave it a 4.0. So it is really flirting with that hefty, hefty range. And this is a very heavy game. And a very hard game. (laughs) So the reason I don't want to talk too much about it, because there has been no winning that has happened. There has not been anything close to winning that has happened. Uh, So I don't want to hold that against the game, because the game is really well designed. The mechanisms and mechanics of playing through the game are really good. But there's so many options about what to do. And every decision matters. Mm-hmm. literally everything you do, every decision you make, every move you choose to do, every action you choose to take matters. And it can you can go from we're in good shape to we're not going to be able to win this game because of one or two non-optimal plays is my feeling just getting started. Now, maybe once I know the system's better and once I know how everything interacts better, that won't be true. But right now, just getting started, this really is a a game that when it says a strategy, it's not messing around. Thematically, very cool. Basically, and I know you've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. You are island spirits who are trying to prevent um, colonization from happening on your island. There are people coming to your island who are trying to claim it as their own, and the spirits are saying, no, this is our place. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, And you're trying to drive them out thematically it feels like that it really does feel like you are pushing against a greater force that is constantly coming for you um so i think they do a very good job of creating that sense of foreboding there's always a sense of there's so many things i could do in this situation but i don't know what the right decision or right thing to do is um because you've played this yes yeah do, it, do you feel that I'm categorizing and explaining how your you felt playing it as well, or or what would you say about Spirit Island? No, I think <clears throat> I think you nailed it. Uh, to put like to put it, I guess it's more like context for people. Like they're literally just humans. They they're popping up all over your island, and they if they build houses, you're you're in trouble. And you and when you're trying to stop people, one onto your left, there's people to your right or north or south doing things. Right. You really have to, you really have to look at everything before you make a decision on what you're going to do. Um, 
because yeah, it isn't a very forgiving game, but mm -hmm. I th I do think that that really supports the theme. Uh, yeah. So it really works really well with the theme. It's not just a pasted on theme, and and um, I think uh, the spirits' powers are really cool, and they're all different. So mm -hmm. you can play with different levels of difficulty as well. Some spirits are harder to play than others. Um, and there's a bunch of expansion. Well, there's an expansion out. And right. I think there's also like a separate character expansion too. Um, so there's more options as well. But yeah, I think I think what you say is fair. And I still want to revisit that game because um, we didn't give it a fair uh, shit. We didn't. I wanted to play it more. Right. And that's the thing that, you know, we're fortunate that we can set something like this up and just leave it up and play it when we have the time. Yeah. And, and I think we're fortunate that we can do that because this is, there's a lot of, of moving parts to this game. There's a lot of pieces just in general to this game. So it is something that if you had to set up over and over again and take it and put away and put back, put away would, would definitely, I think, take away from someone's desire to play it. But there's just a lot of cool things that they're doing. I like the fact that when you're choosing your powers, or what your, your abilities, some of them um, take effect immediately. Others are slower. So that's one thing you have to kind of take into consideration as to when the timing of the events are going to happen. Um, as you said, you know, the, the I think they do a nice job with the invaders about how they move into a territory. And then now that they've explored that territory, the next turn they build in there. And then the next time they build a settlement there. And then the next time they just ravage it and bring it to nothing and bring blight to the land. Like yeah. it very much follows the theme. Well, you as your, as playing as the Islanders using your spirits to try to fight back really well done. Just need to play it more because it is uh, a game that <laughs> it's hard to be like, yeah, this game is awesome when you can't win. I, I kind of felt the same way about, Oh, the cooperative game from um, portal <laughs> uh, Robinson Crusoe. Uh -oh. Same thing. Okay. You know, trying to, I feel very much similar about to Robinson Crusoe the way I feel about uh, Spirit Island. Great game. P playing it, you're like, oh, I see how all the smart decisions that are made here, uh, it's just really hard. So maybe once I've won once, uh, I'll give it a full review, uh, <laughs> basically, so I can share what the feeling of winning feels like. So that's on the board game front what I've been playing. On the video game front, a couple of things I want to talk about just very briefly to kind of wrap everyone into what is... Uh, the hotness for me currently. Number one, finished Trials of Mana. I know I talked about that briefly before. I uh, got to my first complete playthrough with three of the characters. So still three characters left, two different bosses to face. But I've done all of the post-game stuff even. So I beat the optional bosses, beat the optional, optional final boss, which gives you a, bu a buff the next time you start with your new game. Plus that everyone earns 300% XP. Oh, <laughs> so that way, instead of the game taking 25 to 30 hours, you can beat it in 8 to 9 hours, which is pretty exciting since you have to play it three times. So yeah. I'm all set for that, but I just wanted to say, okay, I've gotten one playthrough there. I'm going to kind of pivot and look at and play some other things. So what I did actually is I went back to the Uncharted trilogy, uh, replayed through Drake's Fortune, uh, the first one in like a night and a half because that game is so short. So play through that. Man, that, I really like that game, but goodness, it is getting harder and harder to play as time <laughs> goes on. I love the story, but just mechanically and, and from a system standpoint and from a, a feel and control standpoint, they did a great job with the remaster. It just doesn't really cut the mustard as much as it does today. But I have also moved now on to Uncharted 2, and I will say Uncharted 2 holds up extremely well. And the jump from that first game to the second game 
is ridiculous just in how the game feels, how the characters look, how they move. Everything is just so much better in that second game. Uh, it, it really is kind of mind-blowing. When people talk about the jump from like Assassin's Creed 1 to Assassin's Creed 2, I feel Uncharted 1 to Uncharted 2 is a similar type of quality jump. Yeah. So much so that Uncharted is important because of the introduction to characters, but I wish people could just start playing Uncharted at Uncharted 2 if they've never played it before so they didn't have to deal with uh, the little bit of roughness that is in that first game. So it's went like back Mass to Effect. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so went back to that because I just wanted to play some Naughty Dog stuff in preparation for The Last of Us Part 2, but I didn't want to play The Last of Us again because I'm not really in the mood for that dourness, which I know I'm going to have in the future. Uh, so, you know, I'll just play a, a cheeky adventurer who murders a whole bunch of people. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> Two other games that I've been playing, though, that I want to talk about the most. Number one, a co-op game called Moving Out. Josh, are you familiar with this game? Uh, yes, I am. Only from trailer, though. Gotcha. Well, we have it on PS4, just so you know. Uh, the partner and I, this was, you know, we are overcooked people. Got the platinum and overcooked, too. So we decided that we were going to try playing Moving Out. And Moving Out, you are... Movers who are helping move people out of their homes, out of warehouses, out of factories, out of other places I don't want to mention because I guess I don't want to spoil the story in the game. <laughs> but basically, it's very much overcooked, but you're moving things. So you're moving items into the truck. You sometimes have to use two people to move things. You're throwing things through windows because who cares if you break stuff? Uh, there are obstacles that get in your way. There are time limits. There are different things that you can do to accomplish. They don't give you, you get bronze, silver, and gold for your time. But then there's also optional objectives that give you coins and you can get up to three coins per level. And then those coins unlock episodes, not episodes, levels in the arcade. So the arcade levels are just very much, hey, move this couch from point A to point B and we're going to throw a ton of obstacles in your way and you have to do it in a certain amount of time. Nice. So that's kind of like what the arcade levels are. Overall, less stressful than Overcooked is because there's not, you know, in Overcooked, it's like, oh, we have all these different recipes we have to do. In this game, it's basically pick up the stuff and get it in the truck. There's really no variation there other than the obstacles thrown at you by the particular level that you're in. So yeah. definitely less stressful than Overcooked is. Um, but fun. I, we had a good time with it. We finished. There's 30 levels in the game. We have finished all 30 levels, all with gold time, oh, and done all the optical event. All of the optional objectives are complete. So, <laughs> and all the arcade levels are done. And there's one other type of special fun level that's like a look back in time. All of those are complete as well. Wow. So, going back, probably we'll go get the platinum in it because the, the things left for the platinum are very silly things to do, like, oh, punch every mailbox in the in every level well okay i haven't done that yet so <laughs> i'll probably go back and just kind of clean that stuff up but if you're looking for a fun co-op game to play uh around the house i think it's only local co-op uh, i would recommend it the nice thing about it too is it does have assist mode that you can turn on to give your extend your time to make it so that typically when you put items in the truck they stay there so you have to kind of arrange things um you can make it so they just disappear when you get into the truck uh -huh. uh, to just make everything a little bit easier so there's a number of different things that you can turn on so even if you have younger kids uh or even maybe other people who don't play video games very often and maybe the idea of 
dual analog sticks is going to be challenging for them. There are other things you can do and other assists you can turn on to just make life way easier and more enjoyable to play as well. So if you're looking for something in that vein of Overcooked, but maybe a little bit easier, I think Moving Out is a really, really good option. Nice. The final game I'm going to talk about, Josh... You know, the last few weeks I've come on here and talked about another game that might be a, a game of the year contender for me. Josh, I have another one potentially. I don't know if this is actually going to win game of the year, but it's probably going to make it on my top five games. And that by that smile that I can see that our listeners can't see, I know you know, know what I'm talking about. Josh, man eater is so much fun. <laughs> I thought you would have a problem uh, eating turtles and flinging them through the ocean like frisbees. I do feel very bad about eating <laughs> animal. I don't know. Have you started playing man eater? Yeah, I started playing it. Okay, how far are you? I, I well, just I just played uh, maybe an uh, hour's worth. Okay, so my shark uh, is level 20. So I've been playing quite a while. About, uh, not that long, six hours, I would say. So main eater, open world shark RPG. Uh-huh. So, or open ocean, <laughs> I guess, shark RPG, swampland, well, whatever. you can get out of the water. <laughs> you can't get out of the water and fluff around on land. It's pretty great. So in it, you are a shark who, and I think they have developed this brilliantly uh tripwire is a developer of this game uh i think published by deep silver deep silver thank you uh in this game you are a shark who is swimming the ocean and you get basically old school open world rpg tasks of go eat x number of fish go do these things go do this thing and then once you've done that you move from the area you're in to the next openish area and that's the way the game progresses on the surface, doesn't sound that exciting, right? But something about, I've never been a shark in a game before. The controls are good, too. I, yeah, and the controls, I have never really enjoyed swimming in a game, but swimming as a shark is great. Hmm. And they also do a nice job of bridging the gap between, okay, we recognize that you are, I guess, having a shark power fantasy because we're not going to do things we're going to do things a little bit on the ridiculous side there are power-ups you can get there are mutations you can get for your shark to make them be able to do things better uh they can you know you can breach out of the water and jump onto boats and jump onto the land and chase people down now you can't live forever on land and controls on land are not great which i think is probably on purpose but i'm having so much fun with this game i i I adore it. I'm having so darn much fun. And I love the fact that they, the antagonist of the game is a shark hunter and it's shot from like a reality television style show. And that's how you see what the humans are experiencing is that every once in a while you have these breaks where you see kind of another episode of the show that's going on to keep you up to date with the story that's happening there. And I think that works really, really well. And the other thing, the game starts, I thought it was really hard at the beginning that there were these predators and I, I thought it to be very, very challenging. Once you kind of figure those things out now, I actually went on, I'm in the third or fourth area at this point and I had to go back to the first area for something. And it was pretty cool to then go in that area and be like, yeah, whatever gators and just have no <laughs> issues with them at all. Because before I was avoiding them at all costs, I was trying to get around them or not ignore them or swim away from them. Uh, but yeah, Maneater, it's on, I think, everything other than Switch, PC, P PlayStation 4, and Xbox, I believe. 40 bucks. Uh, it, I don't think it's super long. Everything I've read says it's only about 10, 11 hours long. So obviously, make your determination if you care about how long it is for the price. But I am having so much fun. This was the game when I, I wasn't going to get it. 
read reviews on it because it was kind of on my radar. And I said, okay, fine, I'll jump in. And this is what I stopped playing Uncharted 2 for was to play this. <laughs> so I'm having a blast. I love Maneater. I think – I don't know if it would be my favorite game of the year right now, but I would at least have to think about it being my favorite game of the year right now. Wow. So there we go. Maneater. Interesting. Be a shark. It's cool. Uh, Josh, what is your second topic? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our next my our next topic comes from uh, Dice Tower News again, uh, where we are getting the announcement of a, a well a new con. Uh, it will be co-hosted by the Dice Tower and Board Game Geek Con. Um, it was announced on Monday, May eighteenth, on YouTube. Uh, basically, what we're going to see is. Uh, a virtual gaming con that's going to take place uh, soon, July, uh, June 24th to June 28th, about a month away. Uh, and it'll allow uh, anyone to create virtual rooms to play games or host panels, which is pretty big, um, and welcome other con goers uh, to play or attend. Uh, tickets are free, but uh, sorry, tickets are free if you already had a badge to Dice Tower East 2020 or BGG Spring 2020. Um, and then you can purchase more stuff later down the line when they when they open it up to everybody. That's gonna be five days of ongoing gaming. Um, uh, you know, it's not meant to uh, replace conventions, but it's just intended as like a bonus to fill in the gap for all these people that you know can't do what they want to do. Uh, it's pr- it's purposely planned between Board Game Geek Con Line, which is May twentieth, and Dice Tower Online which is June 30th to July 4th, because they also canceled Dice Tower Con uh, for this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, I think what's interesting is, you know, they're going to be using Zoom, Discord, Skype, Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator. Uh, So it's nice that they're, they're offering, like, all these variations of social... Uh, hangout stuff that is happening now. Like we don't use Zoom in PSVG, we use Discord or we use Skype, and they're both options for them as well. So that's nice to see. Um, they haven't really uh, listed like what the panels are and stuff, but it sounds like if you're interested in um, hosting one, you can kind of submit to that to them, uh, which is cool. And I don't know, what do you think? Like this is something that. We haven't seen it happen yet with board games. I mean, we've heard it talked about so far, like some of these cons going digital. Uh, but do we like? I'm still so curious as to whether this works for the board game convention because it's I so physical, so much physical involved in a board game convention that um, I just, for me personally, like I go to PAX Unplugged because there's no digital presence. For, for the most part, like Evolution, some digital board games are there, but even when Pax Plug started, people were like, you're not going to have digital board games there, right? We don't want that. <laughs> and, you know, at first they were like, no, but then they, you know, they adapted uh, rightfully so. But um, I, I don't know if I feel, if I just want to sit in my living room and watch a press, like uh, a panel live and have to sign up and sign up for tickets when I know I can watch it on youtube right afterwards <laughs> well and that's what i'm a little confused by so obviously bgg conline which is taking place is developers 
showing off new games, right? Yeah. Sitting down, d- demoing, uh, kind of explaining PowerPoint what... presentations, stuff like that. Yeah. Right. But Dice Tower Online is just online gaming, is it not? Or do they have things going on? Do they have stuff planned for that too? It's mostly based around online gaming, but he did say that it would be more than just online board gaming. Okay. So the thing I don't totally understand about this, it seems very odd to me that you have to buy tickets to it. Yeah, I think it, it to me, it sounds like a way to validate people's tickets. Yeah. Because even Tom, when he said that Dice Tower Con was canceled, he was like, I really don't want you to ask for a refund because this is financially hurting us. What I'm, what he offered was, if you wanted to go to Dice Tower Con 2021, your tickets would still be valid, um, but it's right. going to be in a different hotel. So your hotel will still be valid too, but he's like, if you want to upgrade rooms, you can do this. And I'm like, it just seems... And then he was like, and if you don't, if you don't want to go to Dice Tower Con, you can put it towards Dice Tower Cruise because we still have rooms available for that. So I get like it's tough for these people who um, Dice Tower is a little bit more dependent on people's funding than Board Game Geek, I think. Right. Um, but you know they have their Kickstarter that support, like pretty much covers their salary and their funding, so they're like just taking a like a bath in this, like they're losing everything. Yeah. Potentially. You know, I don't think they're in any trouble of going under, but this seems like a way, at least for Tom at Dice Tower, to, to kind of give people some value for what they paid for and, right. and give them something back. So they go, so they say like, okay, I get it. So maybe they should do a thing where they don't set, put things out on YouTube, where it's just right. exclusive to the con. I don't know. Yeah, I... I do appreciate the attempt and I'll definitely be interested to see how it goes. I don't know that I would buy tickets to this though. Right? Yeah. Like our, what would have to happen for you to actually purchase tickets to this event? Uh, it would have to be something like that. I, that I really needed to see or wanted to see right? that I knew other people wouldn't have the benefit of seeing. Right. <laughs> uh, even like renegade games is doing their own thing. And it's free, but you have to like literally sign up for every individual thing on Eventbrite, and that like and that is like I don't know what I'm doing when your con is happening. I can't just sign up for it now, right? To be on my couch for 4 p.m. on June 2nd, whatever the dates are. Like, I just have that's my biggest issue with these. Is like if I'm going to a convention. I'm already away from home. I already allotted that time to do whatever is available to me. Uh, so it's, you know, I think it's harder in that situation to, for me to to separate the two. Yeah. And like like you alluded to and said, totally recognize that for both of these companies, really, this is very, very challenging financially, right? That yeah. putting on a con, I think most people would never guess that something like this was going to happen. So when you're running all of the financials of worst case scenarios, I don't know that this was in anybody's worst case scenario that we, you know, we have to cancel because of global pandemic. Part of me is a little surprised. You would, you would hope that the venues would be helping out with these things because they, I have to imagine, I, I get that they have responsibilities and bills and things like that too, but 
man. And maybe, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a very hard situation for everyone involved. So I think people are doing the best of what they can. But like you said, I think it's just very challenging for such a tactile hobby yeah. and experience that I do to be with people to now participate in this in a virtual thing. And since I wasn't going to Dice Tower, to now choose to pay money yeah. to do it. You know, it just is very odd to me. So, yeah. But I hope it, I do hope it generally works out for both of them. I think it's cool that they're trying something new. I think it's very awesome that they said, hey, we're in this rough situation. What are ways we can still hopefully add value for people? Right. So, which is all great. That's very, very good on them for trying to do. I agree. 100% agree with you on that. And I hope it works out for all of them. Indeed. Anything else about uh, the cons going digital you want to chat about? Well, let's just hope that soon we can be going to physical cons again. (laughs) That would be great. That would be great. Well, staying in the board game realm, Josh, uh, uh, this little, I don't know, award, I guess. Not many people have heard of. I think it's pretty small (laughs) under the radar. The Spiel des Jahres uh, nominees for 2020 were announced. So let's just take a minute. We'll go through these here. Uh, this is from ICV2, but obviously is from the Spiel des Jahres site. If you'd like to go read it there as well. I just don't read German very well, so I'm choosing this site since it is in English here. <laughs> uh, but the Spiel des Jahres nominees are My City by Reiner Knizia, uh, published by Cosmos. Uh, Nova Luna by Uwe Rosenberg and Korn van Moorsel. Uh, published by Spielsweis and Pegasus Spiel. Uh, and Pictures by Daniela and Christian Storr, published by P.D. Verlog. Have you played any of those games? <laughs> no. I have not either. Are you aware of all, any of these games? <laughs> you know, I heard of My City earlier in the year. Uh, I never looked more into it, though. So that's right. the only name familiarity I had with the category. Yeah, I am familiar with My City and Nova Luna, but that is it. Uh, I am not familiar with pictures. And I was feeling really guilty about this, but then I saw multiple board game personalities talk about how this was the first time they have never played any of the nominees for the spiel. Yeah, so we're not alone. And I wonder if that is because we just haven't been able to get together as much. Maybe. That word of mouth and people talking about these games just isn't happening like it used to. So I don't know. Maybe not. Um, So those are the spiel of the CRS nominees for Game of the Year. Obviously, there is still the Kenner spiel, which is the enthusiast game of the year. This is typically going to be some quote-unquote heavier titles for the experienced gamer. Uh, the nominees there are The Cartographer by Jordi Adan, published by Pegish Spiel. The Crew by Thomas Singh, published by Cosmos. And The King's Dilemma by Lorenzo Silva. Ha- oh, boy. Yalmar <laughs> Hawk and Carlo Borelli, published by Horrible Guild and Heidelbar Games. Obviously, the King's Dilemma, kind of the hotness. Everyone's talking about the King's Dilemma. Yeah. Uh, the crew and the cartographer. What is your familiar level? Of the famili- how familiar are you <laughs> with those games? Man, talking is hard today. Uh, I've seen people talking about the crew for months. Um, yep. But I think, is it not a choose? Is it not a escape room game? Or it just looks like the escape room game boxes? That is what I think, but I will look it up while you continue to talk. Uh, and then I know the cartographer is a role player game. It's in the role player universe, so I believe it's a roll and write. It's been on my radar um, because I like um, the role player universe. So 
Uh, the Crew is actually a cooperative trick-taking game. Oh, okay. I'm in- more interested now. Yeah, the players set out as astronauts on an uncertain space adventure. The eventful journey through space extends over 50 exciting missions. Whoa. So there you go. I wonder what that costs. The crew card. The crew. The quest for planet nine. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know what's funny? What's that? The first thing that comes up when I search, even before you get to the crew, is an escape room game above it. (laughs) Oh, really? It's not even the crew. (laughs) I thought it was going to be the crew, the video game. Oh, bad news. I was just going to get it. It's three to five players. Yep. Yep, it is. So I will not be getting that. <laughs> well, let's see. It says on, on Board Game Geek, it says it's two to five, but I wonder if that is because there is some sort of variant variant that Board Game Geek, somebody on Board Game Geek made. Let's see. Now the box, the back of the box says three to five players. There with we an go. Asterisk. Oh, with two player variant. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Ordering. Oh wait, June tenth? No, I'll just I'll go from I'll go to my local store when they open. <laughs> Put on my right. mask and brave it and brave my brave my store to get a board game. <laughs> so I know the King's Dilemma is also high on your list. Again runs into the problem. The King's Dilemma <laughs> is three to five. It is. <laughs> so something that, though that that is a legacy style game, so that is a game that I would be comfortable scheduling plays right. for. But, you know, Gloomhaven, which kind of cancels any other group game that we want to play. <laughs> I was just going to ask if that was, if that would get in the way of it for you, if that would happen there. Yeah, as much as I'm okay with, like, giving up a night, uh, the other guys are like, we could just play Gloomhaven, though. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, Betrayal yeah. Legacy is never going to get played. Uh, I I got to talk to William and be like, hey, I got to get Vindication played, or I should just send it back to your folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because my buddy backed the Vindication sequel or whatever, and we all chipped in. So now I'm like, well, we got to play Vindication first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the Cartographers, that's a roll and write game, right? Yeah, it's a roll and write game from in the universe of uh, role player, player, which is right. not a roll and write game. Yes. So, yeah, I I, I feel like, and I could be wrong, that, King, uh, that uh, Cartographers and... I think the crew's the crew gonna win. are both pretty light, aren't they? Yeah, I feel like the crew's gonna win. Uh, it, I've just seen so many people talking about it. Okay. Um, I think in a spiel, typically there's a lot of light games in that category. There are. There really are. I was expecting them to be heavier than that than they yeah. are, but yeah. Anyway, so Kenner spiel. I think, yeah, the crew is a good pick. I think the King's Dilemma might win, but we'll have to wait and see. Everything will be announced on July 20th. Uh, the final category then is the Kinderspiel, which is Children's Game of the Year. Hmm. And that the nominees there are Photo Fish by Michael College. College? College? We'll go with College. <laughs> uh, published by Logis. Speedy Roll by Ertis Solnaskis. Published by, L- oh boy, Piatnik and Lifestyle Board Games. And We Are the Robots by Reinhard Staup. Published by NSV. What do you think? Kids games. Anyone anyone could win. <laughs> yeah. I have no with... knowledge of any of them. <laughs> Photo Fish. Okay, I'll go I with We Are fun... the Robots. I have a fun play on Photo Finish, so I'm going to go with Photo Fish. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with We Are the Robots. Okay, that sounds like a plan. 
So those are the nominees. Like I said, announcements of winners will be made on July 20th. Uh, but Spiel des Jahres, big deal. Uh, you know, when people win that, their game tends to become a little more evergreen. It stays in print a little bit longer. Uh, people will play games that they weren't going to play simply because they won the Kenner Spiel or the Spiel des Jahres. So uh, something to definitely keep an eye out for. Connected to that came the news that both Essen and Gen Con are not happening in 2020. Now, if you're not familiar, Essen is the game fair that happens every November. Is that right? October? October. October. Uh, in Germany, biggest board game convention in the world. Uh, Gen Con happens in Indianapolis in August, the biggest board game convention in the U.S. Uh, both of these conventions have been, Essen said they were delayed, uh, but they delayed it a year. So it's just canceled for this year, and it's coming yeah. in 2021. <laughs> and again, that might just be you know native Germans trying to <laughs> talk in English because our <laughs> language makes no sense. Uh, and then Gen Con also being pushed back to 2021 will be the next time that that convention happens at least right now i mean this is unsurprising right josh yeah i mean it's kind of expected now right uh or actually i just should just say you you kind of hope that they are canceled um i don't know that it's expected anymore but at least a month ago it was expected right um so yeah i think it's it's smart that it shows that they're taking people's health Seriously, so I understand to an extent how much of a financial loss this could be for these people, but you can't have a con if next year if there aren't people around to go to it. Right. So maybe you take a dip this year, but no, I mean, it's it's it stinks, especially for this industry where everything, like we said, is so tangible, so physical, so social. Uh, right. It's a it's a big hit. For the industry. So here's my question based off of all of this then. Very sad that these things are happening, but good decisions by the folks running it. Uh, I think probably very sad too, just for the economies of both of those places. I, I got to imagine that, you know, especially Gen Con is probably a pretty good stimulus for Indianapolis for the, that week of a lot of people coming to that town and spending a lot of money. Yeah. But all of that aside, what impact do you think is going to be on the future of board games because with so many cancellations of conventions yes people are missing out on i'm going and playing the newest latest best hottest thing that's yeah. not happening people aren't buying the newest latest best hottest thing at least at the conventions but, be <clears throat> but behind the scenes a lot of game pitches happen at these conventions a lot of time this is when People who have game designs will go meet with publishers, demo their games for them, show them what the future of board games is going to be. How big of an impact do you think not having these conventions is going to have on board games a year from now, two years from now, maybe even three years even potentially? Do you think we're going to be in a situation where we're not seeing as many of those new innovative things? Uh, that's a good question because you're also missing out on demoing games like right. um, prototypes and things like that to not just people in the industry, but people who give you genuine, honest feedback and mm -hmm. what you need to fix. So right. I think that is probably the biggest thing where, where these game designers, they're not getting to put their game into uh, strangers' hands, not just their friends or colleagues at work, like getting genuine, honest feedback. That's what they're missing out on a lot. As far as like the pitches and stuff, 
as long as these companies have adopted um, what we're doing now, digital streaming, Skype, Zoom, Discord, as long as they are adopting them early, they can still get a lot of those pitch meetings and stuff out and you can still show stuff just like I remember talking um, uh, about gravity warfare and like seeing prototypes, like just on webcam from when we did recording. So like you can still see stuff like that and you can try to explain how things work. Obviously it's not the same right? as in person, but if you're, if you're a business that's buying games, you still want to buy games. So you also are, are it's not just um, these guys trying to sell their games to publishers. It's also publishers looking at their backlog and saying, what can we publish? What do we have? Can we take a break and like ride this out and not interview designers? Uh, or do we have to get on this like right away? Like I'm sure Asmodee has no problem, but Fantasy Flight, they might have to, have already had their 1,000th like interview with game developers because they Forgotten Waters could have been their last big project. I mean, it probably wasn't, but just as an example of a company that is now officially smaller. Plat Hat, you mean? Plat Hat. What did I say? I think you said Fantasy Flight. Oh, geez, not Fantasy Flight. They're they're okay too. Uh, maybe uh, I'm in Plat Hat. Um, so people like that, they like as long as they're adapting. They need the games just as much as the people developing them need to sell them. So uh, you can sell an idea, I think, over a chat, but you can't. I can't tell you about a game I made and ask for your feedback after me telling you how it plays. Right. So, um, uh, and you know, print and play has gotten pretty big too. So maybe they're working their way around print and play so they can do this stuff too. But. Um, I don't know about three years down the line, but I think probably the close, like the nearer future is where we'll see like, just like with movies, like this little gap in time where nothing is out (laughs) and you just have to be fine with having a house full (laughs) of things that you can still do and not having a new game every two weeks. I think we'll all be okay, but uh, I hope we'll all be okay. I should say. For sure. (laughs) All right. So... Again, sad news, but expected, and hopefully, you know, like for those Spiel des Jahres winners in July. Josh, what are you bringing for your third topic? Well, thanks to Kyle, I have a third topic, because <laughs> I did it when we started. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about the pandemic bump. Nintendo had to move over a little bit and let uh, the pandemic share their bump square. Um, and April and gaming has been... Uh, a pretty incredible month for gaming. Uh, so this is from VentureBeat. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so, so far, everyone that has been following the rules and staying at home, which I think everyone has had to up to now, uh, really spent a lot of money on video games. In fact, according to the MPD group who tracks all these things, uh, there was $1.5 billion spent in the month of April. Not the year, but the month of April. Uh, so to give you some facts, facts. So uh, in April of last year, total video game sales were 846. And I'm assuming... Million. It has to be million. <laughs> uh, this year, it was 1466000000 That is a... 73% increase. 
Video game hardware went from 160 million last year to 420 million, which I don't understand because you can't find consoles anywhere. So <laughs> where are they selling them? That's a 163% increase. Um, games and game cards and accessories equally had a huge jumps with software jumping 55% and game accessories and game cards jumping 49%. Uh, this is a new record high uh, for April. The last uh, high was April 2008, which was 1.2 billion. Uh, and I, I'm tr- I'm struggling to remember what would have been out in 2008. Uh, but clearly something big was out in April of 2008. Um, so we're looking at strong performance for March and April. Um, and year-to-date 2020 tracked spending across video game hardware, software, accessories, and game cards reached $4.5 billion, which is up 12% over a year ago which is exciting. Um, And then I have a little chart we'll go through. It's the top 20 games uh, from units, uh, sorry, from dollar sales, not units sold um, from top to bottom. So just remember games that aren't selling for 60, they're selling more copies of those games, uh, technically. So starting at the number one game for April in dollars was Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, followed by Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And then, of course, Animal Crossing New Horizon, which I actually expected to be number one. Uh, shocked at NBA 2K20 being number four. Uh, not shocked, but still shocked. The Grand Theft Auto Five is still in these <laughs> charts at number five. Resident Evil 3 at number six. Modern Warfare 2 Remastered at seven. I'll just do the top ten. MLB The Show 20 at 8, NFL 20 at 9. So people want those sports games sitting at home. And Red Dead Redemption 2 at 10, which is also pretty impressive. Uh, I guess I'll make some special notes. A fighting game, Mortal Kombat 11, still at number 13, still selling really well, which is very impressive for them. And Predator Hunting Grounds at 15, which is great. Also Mario Kart 8's on there. (laughs) I shouldn't overlook that. Uh yeah, but Mortal Kombat uh on the on the brink of a new expansion coming out next week, which I can confirm does have the Blood Sea in it, Kyle. So maybe <laughs> you will get your answers. Maybe we'll get and and you know what? If they do give answers, I want some sort of credit for asking the question. I'm just saying. But you never asked the question. I did I, ask the question on Twitter. Yeah, I you did okay. directly to Ed Boone. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, dollar sales tracked video game software increased 55% in April compared to a year ago, uh, to 200, to 66, $662 million. Uh, so the previous record was $642 million, also in April of 2008. And, it's funny, because I'm looking at April 2008 right now. Yeah. I don't know what made it, people buy so many games in April 2008. Was it consoles? Were the new consoles out? But there's no good. I, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the game releases. The only thing that came out that would have been like a huge driver of numbers that I can see is Mario Kart Wii. What console? Mario Kart Wii came oh, yeah. out. PlayStation Two was the top gaming console of 2008. <laughs> yeah, because like Persona Three came out on PS2 in April of 2008. 
Uh, but yeah, because I'm looking at the games, it's Mr. Driller on Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, the Windows release of Assassin's Creed. Uh, Mario Kart Wii, like I said, the window, the Wii release of Okami, I guess maybe. But uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Time and Explorers of Darkness on. I DS. figured it out. I figured it out. What is it? April twenty fifth. Everyone got a three hundred dollars stimulus check. Oh really? Yeah, that was Bush's stimulus check. That was that oh. that month. Yeah, I, that's true. And I guess I could have bought games. Anyone that came who filed their taxes, anyone over the age of eighteen, got a three hundred dollar check in the mail. There you go. And I, they could have bought anything that came out earlier in the year that they could not get. I'm going like to have forward. to assume that that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know what else it would have been. I just had this thought about them in my head. Stimulus check. I feel like that was a year of a stimulus check. <laughs> and it was. Uh, so does, how do you feel? You think this is the pandemic bump? I think we can't ignore that, right? It has to be the pandemic bump. Yeah, I think it absolutely has to be. And obviously, there are some games that are just highly anticipated that are out now. So obviously, Animal Crossing doing bonkers numbers. Final Fantasy VII Remake, people were really excited about. you know, And then Call of Duty had their free-to-play Warzone mode added in March. So those, you know, the Animal Crossing and Warzone coming in for March, Final Fantasy coming in April. I, I think the things were primed for it to be better than last year, but... This huge of a jump, I think, very clearly is because of the fact that we're all supposed to stay home. And those of us who haven't had consoles yet, well, I can only watch so much TV. You can only watch so many movies. I guess I'm going to buy a video game console now. Yeah. It's like people with pets. <laughs> I can say with pets first, and now they are getting video game consoles. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think the bump is from that. Uh, but like you said, it's amazing how many things, i.e. Grand Theft Auto Five, still on here. That's uh, just crazy. It is ridiculous, and the fact that Grand Theft Auto Five is number five and Red Dead Redemption Two is number ten, they're just making money hand over fist over there. That is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, good for them. I'm actually really surprised. The thing that made me feel happiest about all of this probably is that Predator Hunting Grounds made it into the top twenty. Yeah. I, I was very worried it was not going to, so <laughs> I'm just happy that it is in the top 20. We'll see how well it continues to do, but yeah, that made top 20. That made me happy, so. Same. Awesome. Anything else about uh, video game sales? No, good for them. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I feel like May is probably going to go down, right? Because there's not a ton of huge stuff coming out this month. May is going to go down, and then I uh, just rest in peace next april like the numbers are going to be so skewed it's going to be impossible and i well, i say that after working for best buy having to compete uh against year to year sales and knowing like when something big happened you you're just out of luck for that week or day or month right how could we compete against xyz thing happening yeah exactly last year yeah we actually oddly similar story we used to have to do the same thing when i worked at a restaurant when i worked at pizza hut we always had to look back at our previous we'd look back at the previous year and we'd have to like try to meet sales so like every time the holiday would move around it always messed everything up because holidays actually really busy times in the pizza business uh because people like hang out with their family and then they're like oh i don't want to cook for dinner or whatever so i'm just going to order a pizza and pick it up on my way home yeah so it always would throw off all of the money we would make that whatever when things got pushed a week it was dumb anyway <laughs> we don't need to talk about food anymore on this podcast but we probably will again later oh, of course preview <laughs> all right so my final topic josh how many games 
is too many games. So this com- story comes from Games Radar, written by Alex Avard. Titles Deep Silver and THQ Nordic have 69 unannounced titles in the works. So the story goes on to say, quote, The Embracer Group, the parent company of publishers Deep Silver and THQ Nordic, has revealed that it has 69. Nice. That was that w- in the article. That's not me saying anything. <laughs> that is in the article. Unannounced titles in the works across its family of studios with a total number of 118 games under development at present. Yeah. 118 <laughs> games, Josh. Yeah, but they keep getting to include Biomutant on that list. If That's they true. don't release these games, that doesn't matter. <laughs> then it'd only be 117. And Deep Rock uh, Galactic has been in game preview for two years, so does that count? <laughs> isn't that out now? Is it Deep Rock Galactic I think it out just now? came out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the statistics was revealed in the publisher's annual earnings call to shareholders earlier this week, in which it also said that its next slate of, quote, AAA game releases since 2018's Metro Exodus won't be launching till next fiscal year, which starts April 1st, 2021, and ends on March 31st, 2022. The article goes on to say, some have taken this statement as confirmation that Saints Row 5, (laughs) which is in works at Volition, has been quietly delayed to next year, even though Saints Row 5 hasn't officially been announced. So, Embracer Group has confirmed, though, that this year alone we'll see the release of Biomutant, Chorus, Deep Rock Galactic, Destroy All Humans, Iron Harvest, Moto GP20, Ride 4, SnowRunner, Wasteland 3, WWE 2K Battlegrounds from its portfolio, along other yet-to-be-announced titles. So, Saints Row 5 pushed. Dead Island 2 ostensibly pushed, if it's still actually happening. Yeah. It's interesting that they said, I would have assumed Biomutant they would have considered a AAA title, but apparently they don't, question mark? <laughs> Uh, maybe something has changed with Biomutant. <laughs> I've been waiting for that game for four years. Yeah, it's been a long time that we've been seeing about that game. Yeah, I'm still excited about it, but I'm just getting less hopeful with the delays and delays and delays. For sure. So, 118 games in development, 69 unannounced titles. This has to make Embracer Group the most prolific publisher of video games, right? Yeah, or overconfident. <laughs> it just really depends on <laughs> what's going on under the hood. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of games <laughs> it, within a year. Yeah, that's so many. And I will say, you know, the Man Eater, which I'm playing right now, published by Deep Silver, is yeah. great. So maybe some of these other games will be great. And I do like the fact that they tend to their games tend to kind of explore that. $40 price range. They really yes. do tend to look at that little lower cost range. And I think it serves them pretty well. Deep Rock Galactic, from everything I've heard, people really like. Chorus, we obviously saw at the Xbox One X, or Series X, excuse me, um, event. And that looks cool. Like it does really has some possibilities there. Uh, Moto GP20 and Ride 4, I think, are games that always sell well. WWE 2K Battlegrounds, I think, since we're not getting the sti- the kind of official game this year, the simulation game, that the, that game might have uh, some legs and do well. Wasteland 3 seems good, right? People like Wasteland games, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a unique portfolio of games that they have. It's definitely varying, yeah, for sure. It's not like, a, it's not like Bioware where you know what kind of game is coming from them. Right, absolutely. So, 
Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. That's a that's a whole lot of games for one publishing group to have under their purview. Yeah, uh, I I was really hoping to see the list of all of them, but <laughs> clearly there's not a list of all of them. <laughs> yeah, that would be very interesting if they did have. Let me see here. No, I did click on the yeah I did link too. to see what it is, and yeah, 118 games under development. Wow. Yep. Good for them. <laughs> I hope they're good. <laughs> yeah, I hope. They How many will well. be on the Nintendo eShop for six dollars? <laughs> How many of them are app games made into video games? <laughs> yeah, that's just so wow. So much stuff it falls under their responsibility and purview. It's kind of mind blowing. I I feel like they basically are double A. They are the double A tier of video games. Yeah, it seems like it, huh? It really, really does. So anyway, those are our topics this week. Josh, we do have a listener question. Why don't you take us through it? Listener question. We need a theme song for it. Uh, Splig at Doubleicious tweets at us. He says, I love the idea of playing video games with my spouse, but that's also my time to unwind. (laughs) How much do you desire yours to join you? Or is it this is me time and I need space slash time to recharge well i think it just depends on you like i don't see my wife that often during the week so when we do have time together i do uh, enjoy it but i also respect that she might want to just kind of lay down in bed and watch tv or read her book Mm -hmm. um so really it just kind of comes down to at some point in the day we say what do you want to do tonight or what are you feeling up to? And if she wants to play a board game uh, or a video game, which uh, video games are more rare, but then that's what we do. And if she doesn't, I make plans with the PSVG crew or play a game by myself. Uh, or if I get a message from like Kyle or Lucas or someone that want to play a game, I just text her, you know, and I say, hey, like, blah, blah, wants to play a game. So is that all right? Yes. Okay, cool. Done. <clears throat> so... I only laugh because you said that that's my uh, my time to unwind, uh, and you and you kind of want to be by yourself, and I totally get that. Um, that's the only reason why I laugh. Um, but yeah, I mean, video. The last thing you want to do is play video games with someone who does is not a willing participant either. So right, it is also best, I think, to just uh, feel it out. If you really like playing video games together, but your time you don't have as much alone time to yourself. Do it like once a month, just schedule it. It's a lot easier. I think for me to put it on the calendar. So at least you can prepare emotionally, physically, <laughs> whatever uh, your preparation is needed. Um, and then, and then improvise the rest of the month. Like if you played overcooked tonight and you weren't scheduled to play another game for a month, but you really had a fun time, you know, schedule another night but um yeah talk to her figure out what you guys want to do and schedule it is what i would say what's your advice kyle excuse me so yeah so this is a tough one because i enjoy and often look at video games not only as my recharge time but it's also for me a time that i often connect with my overwatch group or whoever other friends that i have to you know play together it's interesting because the person who i play call of duty with we were playing Call of Duty last night, and we were chatting about the fact that both of us are kind of burnt out on Call of Duty. Um, so we're just <laughs> discussing what other game we were potentially going to play. And 
<laughs> that got settled on Final Fantasy fourteen. Um, oh boy! I don't, I don't. He so he started it today to see if it if he wanted to do it, and he was like, "Yeah, this is great." So there's a free version currently on fi- that you can get like the starter edition for free and thirty days of um, the subscription for free. Yeah. So I was like, man, I. Call of Duty is way less of a commitment than a you know few hundred hour MMORPG, so we'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. I've never played an MMO before. I just don't know how long we're going to stick with this. I know he's super into Final Fantasy, though, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> anyway, long aside, so I am often in the similar boat that when my partner says she wants to play video games, I usually groan a little bit, not because I don't want to spend time with her, but because my video game time tends to be pretty limited more often than not. So if I'm going to have it, I typically want to spend it playing the games I want to play. Uh, But the types of games she enjoys are very different than the type of games I enjoy. With that being said, uh, when we do play, though, I've never failed to not... I I mean, I always have a good time. So, And I know she appreciates it, and she really enjoys it, and has a lot of fun. So I don't know that we play as often as she would like to, but we do play regularly enough that she... That she feels like she can be part of the thing I'm really passionate about and a hobby that I really care about. And I think that's part of it, too, is that she wants to show she's interested. Yeah. And that she cares about the things I care about and wants to partake in the things I partake in. But also knowing that full well that in some ways her playing kind of regularly is helpful because she hasn't played with dual analog sticks for the last X number of years of her life like I have. Right. So. Playing it kind of regularly helps her stay up with it and kind of work those that muscle memory and kind of get that all going so it's not such a odd concept. So when we are playing things like Overcooked or uh, Moving Out, it's not so frustrating because it's not a question of her knowing how to use the controller or not. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I It's a tough one, I think, like you said, scheduling it or recognizing that typically if we play together, uh, she, we will end early enough in the night so I can end the night playing something I want to by myself. Uh, to kind of like cleanse the palate if you would at the end of the night so we always start early enough to play what we're going to play together and then that way i can end the night playing something kind of i'm into but also like i have to recognize the fact that there are sometimes video games that she wants to play i talked about earlier in the year how she's a huge kingdom hearts fan so i gave up my console quote unquote my console (laughs) uh for a hundred hours basically for her to be able to play that because she wanted to so i think be recognizing that maybe if she wants to play video games too, uh, sometimes maybe she wants to play them on her own and there's things that she wants to just go out and explore. And then you can do other things during that time too. So yeah, I think scheduling it is helpful. Um, but also recognizing, uh, you know, doing it in a way that you can still get the time that you need, uh, to decompress de- and, and de-stress and all those good things. So, all right. And I bumped my microphone cords earlier, and now I'm super worried that my audio sounds bad. But that's okay. We're going to finish the show. <laughs> and it'll be fine. So, obviously, we are a gaming podcast, but we do want to leave you with a recommendation for a well-rounded life, something we're currently into that is helping us live that balanced life. Josh, what is your recommendation for our listeners this week? So, I watched two movies today. I watched Sonic the Hedgehog with mm-hmm. my wife and... Terror Child. Uh, <laughs> that was very enjoyable. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I just wanted to mention it. Uh, it's a good rental if you have the opportunity. But uh, my recommendation is a movie that people, I think, may not be giving a fair shot. Um, and that is uh, 
Birds of Prey, the Harlequin movie, um, the f- fantabulous emancipation of the one Harley Quinn, I think is the full title. And I'm just <laughs> guessing at this point. Um, you you kind of, you don't have to love the DC movies because I, I really don't think there's a lot to love there currently. Um, That's because we haven't gotten the Snyder cut yet, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. That'll change everything. Um, but if you like Margot Robbie and her dedication to Harley Quinn, Mm-hmm. And she she's very much involved with the writing for the character. Um, and if you liked her character in Suicide Squad, if you're familiar with the Joker and Harley Quinn at all in the stories and the comics, um, this one really took me by surprise. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's a very interesting movie. There's definitely some cheesy bits in there. Um, but they did a great job letting her be Harley and Harley be Harley. So it really feels like her story, um, or part of her story. Um, Hugh McGregor was a great black mask. Um, they kind of messed up Victor's ass, but I, I give him a pass on that one as a comic book fan. Um, <laughs> and like introducing the birds of prey and how they all kind of come together, um, was very smart and I didn't, uh, necessarily feel forced and it's it's not quite like a justice league or avengers meeting it's it's a bunch of you know people going through stuff uh yeah i really enjoyed it uh def definitely an easy recommend and definitely in the top five dc movies um i know that's not hard to say but it's easy for me to say that (laughs) uh it's it's probably in top three so i i really enjoyed it not and I'm talking DC. I'm not talking Nolan Batman's. I'm talking Man of Steel onward. Okay, not, gotcha. not yeah the DC. Just making sure, just clarifying. Universe. <laughs> yes. Uh, so here's my question for you because I have not seen this movie yet. It's on my to watch list though. Yeah, I've heard that the action sequences in this movie are pretty incredible. Is that accurate? The action sequences are good. I don't know okay. that I would define them as pretty incredible. Uh, okay. They're good. They're good. Uh, I think good. Yeah, I I don't know that anything stood out like blew me away. Um, after I have watching it, like nothing like was like, oh man, I remember that thing. Like, um, but I, I think the thing that stuck out the most to me was just how natural the movie felt. Like it didn't feel and nothing was forced, and it just kind of moved at a good pace. So I just kind of it was an enjoyable experience. Right. Awesome. So that is Birds of Prey and Sonic, both which are VOD that you can rent or own, but I don't think they're on any streaming services currently, are they? No, no streaming services, no. All right. Uh, My recommendation stems slightly from our conversation last week. If you remember (laughs) at the beginning of last week's episode, maybe it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, time flat circle. Anyway, (laughs) we talked about whether or not guacamole was a dip. Uh-huh. So I said, you know, I haven't made homemade guacamole in some time. So I made some homemade guacamole this weekend. And by golly, it was delicious. <laughs> so I just want to recommend to everyone, if you like guacamole, take some time, make some guacamole at home. If you have never had guacamole, give it a shot. It's very easy to make. There's a lot of recipes out there. It's not very complicated. The biggest thing you have to decide is whether you're a person who likes tomatoes in your guacamole or not. I feel like that's the biggest kind of differentiator is whether or not you have tomatoes in it. 
Uh, I'm a tomato fan. I like tomatoes in general, so I'm cool either way, but that seems to be the dividing line. So I'm just recommending, go ahead, make some guac, get some good chips, have yourself some nice homemade guac and chips. The downfall to guacamole, obviously, is it doesn't keep really long, but my goodness, what a wonderful snack. I, w- I would eat guacamole every day. I really <laughs> would. Oh, I love it so much. Anyway, find your recipe, find your thing, and you'll have a nice little snack all summer long. Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? You got it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with 3G, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with 3G. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Uh, sh- shout out to Belize. Uh, <laughs> also, if you want to communicate in more long form or you're just not feeling social media, uh, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. Uh, we tag our stuff with hashtag board with VG. So please feel free to use that hashtag as well on all your social medias and whatever podcast service you're listening to us on. We encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you are downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on Steam more recently, PlayStation Network, and Xbox Live at Why So Serious. That's S I R R I U S. Uh, I think it's also Josh Bones seven one five on Steam. I don't know what one you have to look up, but I'm there and I'm playing PC games and it's fun. Uh, Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me at all the usual places: Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross C Y C O C R O S S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.